When you want to do something, when you see a goal that you can accomplish, that you have a dream that you want to reach, people are going to tell you, no, you can't do it. You're too young. You've never done it before. You don't have the experience. Someone else is going to do it first. Someone else has already done it. Whatever. People are going to tell you, you can't. What happens when you ignore them completely and you dive in head first? We're going to talk to someone who knows that firsthand, former state representative for the great state of Ohio, Jay Goyle, next. This is a dash of grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours, here is Brian Leflock. And let's get cooking. The neatest thing about this show that I like is that when people listen, I hope that they're encouraged to do something that they either thought they couldn't do or were told they couldn't do. If you've ever had an idea, if you've ever had a dream and you wanted to do it, but someone said, no, you're too this and no, you're too that. And no, it's your, you know, you, you can't do it. You don't have enough experience. Just quit. When that happens, I want you to remember this story. I'm excited to introduce you to uh, Jay Goyle. Jay Goyle is not only the president of Goyle Industries, a metal fabrication company right here in Mansfield, Ohio, a very successful company. He is also a former Ohio State representative uh, serving for three terms from 2006 to 2013. Look it up. He made an impact. He made a dent and he made a difference. And I'm excited for you to hear his story. Jay Goyle, welcome to A Dash of Grit. Thanks for having me, Brian. Happy to be here. Really do appreciate it. I want to talk a lot about the hurdles that you went to went through. I want to talk about the election and maybe how it affects uh, your your current operation of the of Goyle Industries. But before that, can you tell me a little bit about success? Because if we're going to talk about the hurdles, let's talk about what you were able to accomplish. It means bragging a little bit, maybe patting yourself on the back. But tell me about some of the good things, either in politics or in your company. Uh, brag a little bit so that we can get into the dirt. Sure. Yeah. I, I appreciate the question. I would say, you know, in terms of when I was in office, the things that I feel most proud about, I would probably put them in two categories. One are the legislative achievements, legislative accomplishments. So was able to, um, you know, really do some things around economic development, specifically technology-based economic development. Um, I was the, the co-sponsor for uh, the renewal of the Third Frontier Program, which was a $700 million program aimed at um, entrepreneurship and innovation, uh, encouraging and stimulating entrepreneurship and innovation in the state of Ohio, Um, was uh, heavily involved with um, the state budget and um, helping to make sure that we had a balanced budget at the state level. I also um, was, um, you know, passed sponsor legislation and then was able to pass legislation um, allowing uh, public universities and colleges to take equity in startups uh, with the uh, goal of, again, just trying to stimulate more innovation and entrepreneurship in the state of Ohio. And, you know, there's other, you know, legislative accomplishments that I feel good about, but those are kind of, um, you know, some of the ones that come uh, top of mind. And then, you know, kind of the other bucket uh, just deals with um, being able to help constituents. You know, in our office, we would, we would many times get calls from constituents asking us to help them with XYZ issue. Many times we weren't able to help them, but in many cases, we were able to help um, people. And, you know, that was really one of the most satisfying and great, gratifying things that I was able to do while in office. 
And a lot of those accomplishments that you mentioned um, the, around, around business, those were a lot tied into business growth. Were those things that you wanted to achieve? Is that part of the reason you wanted to run? Or were those things that you were able to figure out when you got there that you'd be able to impact and make a difference? You know, th- th- that's one of the reasons why I did get into it is, you know, I came from a business background, had grown up around um, my family's business, was working at my, my family's business as an engineer. So, you know, it was definitely, um, that was part of what I talked about when I first ran for office. And it was definitely um, a major focus of mine once I was in office. So you had a dream, you decided you wanted to get it done. You saw that you were able to get it done and you found the channels and you made a difference for other people. And that sounds like a Cinderella story. I can, if you're watching on TV, you're a young man. Um, if, if you're listening on, on audio, you, he sounds like a young man and you're right, he is. Uh, Jay, I bet there were some hurdles along the way. It probably wasn't an easy Cinderella story. And I'd, I'd sure love to hear that and share that. Uh, stories about grit. So can you talk about some of the hurdles you had to overcome to get there? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, the most significant one was just getting elected, you know, just initially getting elected. This is back in 2006. And, um, you know, I had moved back, just moved back to the community in 2003 after I graduated from college, was working at the family business. And, you know, I volunteered on some campaigns and, you know, had met a lot of people and they said, you know, we think you'd make a good candidate for office. You should think about running. And so, you know, I thought about it. It was something that I'd always been interested in. Uh, when I was in high school, I was voted most likely to be a politician. Okay. So, you know, maybe my uh, high school classmates had some um, had some uh, foresight um, when they were uh, um, deciding that or making their votes or whatever. Um, but, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, one of the things that I really noticed when I came back to Mansfield after I, uh, college was that a lot of the young people, a lot of my friends who I'd grown up with, gone to school with, had moved and left uh, the area. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'd only gone as far as Cleveland or Columbus, but in many cases, they had left the state entirely. And I saw that as a symptom of some deeper problems that, you know, we, we had in the community. And so wanted to try to get involved and do something about it. So, you know, decided to run for the state legislature. You know, when I first got into the race, you know, a lot of people were, you know, rightfully so a little skeptical. Um, you know, I was young. Um, if I was, if I got elected, I was going to be the youngest member of the general assembly. I was 25 years old on election. You were 25 day. when you ran and when you were yeah, elected? Yeah. 25. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've never held office before, let alone run for office before. Yeah. And so, you know, many, pe- many times, um, you know, many people were like, you know, maybe you should just run for something local or run for city council or school board or, or, you know, get something your name out else. there a little bit. Get yeah. Get your name out there, build some ID, uh, name ID, learn how the game is played before, you know, just running for the state legislature. Um, you know, in terms of party affiliation, you know, I'm a Democrat, um, uh-huh. Richland County tends to be pretty Republican in, you know, the prior election in 2004, I think George W. Bush got close to 60% of the vote. And so, you know, people said, you know, that could, you know, potentially uh, be a hurdle for you. And then, you know, some people, um, you know, mentioned that, and I don't think they meant anything by it themselves when they, when they said it, but, you know, they said, you know, you're, you're an ethnic minority, you know, you're Indian American, um, you know, it might be harder to get elected, you know, for that reason as well. Um, And then, you know, you kind of take all these things and put them together. And, you know, there was certainly some people who didn't think that I'd be able to win. And so so politics, from what I understand, though, is a is a machine. And so we shouldn't just assume that 
it was easy for you to say, nah, nah, I got this. I got this. I mean, you've got to have the backing of the right people. I think, unless you tell me this is differently, I'm wondering why didn't you take their advice? I feel like there's something about you that might be a little different there because they said, you know, you're young, go be a, this for a little while and then do that. But you said, no, I'm going to do this now. What is it about you that made that decision? and, And why did you decide to go that course? You know, I guess uh, that's a great question. And I think what really pushed me to do it was um, I was just really excited about the work you get to do when you're in public office, you know, when you're a legislator. I mean, you know, you get to look at, you know, all sorts of larger societal problems that we have and then try to come up with solutions for those. And, you know, that's something that you know, even to this day, I I get excited thinking about, but particularly back then, you know, I'm an engineer, right? So engineer, you know, you know, we solve problems as engineers and, you know, every day, you know, even, you know, right now we're, we're solving problems in terms of how we make this or, you know, how we set up this process or whatever, but being able to do it on a larger scale where you're able to impact millions of people's lives, you know, hopefully for the better and solve problems for them, you know, that's just, it's really exciting. And to feel like you have the opportunity to, to do that, uh, particularly at you know an early point in your career, it just felt like too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah. And so I want to take that answer and dig just a little bit deeper because it's so important to you and you have such a passion to get it done and you can see that opportunity to serve and to make a difference. Yet, I, th- I think this is accurate in the world of politics you can't have a lot of losses like a heavyweight fighter. You can't go into, you know, your career 0 and 3 and and hope to overcome that. Had you lost, and I'm sure people were telling you this, they might not have given you a second chance. There would have been the next kid coming up, right? And so did that enter into your mind that if I lose this, I'm going to lose my whole shot at this opportunity? Yeah, it, it did. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, the state party chair at the time, um, you know, basically told me, you know, if I ran, I had a primary, I had a competitive primary. Um, there were many people who thought that my primary opponent would have been a better candidate um, for the fall election. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I ended up winning the primary. And, you know, there were people who were trying to get me out of the race for that reason. And I remember after the primary, when I won, I ran into the state party chair at the event. And he just, you know, takes his finger and he just like points it at me. And he's like, you better win, buddy. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I wasn't necessarily maybe the first choice candidate in that respect. And, you know, there I was as the candidate. So if I was going to blow the opportunity, then, you know, um, I better win, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. And so, so did that change uh, your mindset at all? How did that make you feel? You're, you're in, you're going, you're, you're, you won your primary, there's no turning back. But did that finger in your face change you at all? Did it inspire you or did it? did it limit you a little bit? How did that happen? Oh, you know, I mean, it, 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 it totally was a source of motivation. Yeah. Right. You know, not only, you know, I had enough intrinsic motivation to do it uh, for all the reasons, but, you know, wanting to prove that person wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just, uh, it, it added a little bit of extra, uh, I guess, to, you know, push yourself a little bit more. And, and so what did you have to do? Uh, talk to me about the real hurdles. So those were the perceived hurdles. Tell me a little bit about how hard it actually was either to get elected or to make a difference when you got there being a, a freshman at 25 years old. I assume people didn't 
give you the same credence as they gave others. So yeah. tell me about that experience. Sure. I'll talk about both, you know, first in terms of getting elected, you know, the biggest part of my campaign was knocking on doors. So over the course of my campaign, I knocked on, I think it was like 13,000 doors and I I pretty much knocked on doors every single day for an entire year. So after the elections ended in November of 2005, maybe a few weeks after the elections ended in November, 2005, I started knocking on doors and just every day just went out knocking on doors until the, uh, until election day in November of 2006. So, you know, if it was the winter and it was, you know, 20 degrees out and snowing, I was out knocking on doors or if it was, you know, the summer and it was, you know, 90 degrees out and hot and humid, I was out there knocking on doors. And, um, you know, that's really what allowed me to be successful in my campaign. You know, I obviously I met so many people and met so many people who said, you know, I first heard you were running or saw you and saw that you were so young, you know, I'm a Republican, you know, I was going to vote for you, but you knocked on my door. I like your work ethic. I like what you're talking, you know, what you're talking about and, you know, I'll vote for you. And it, it um, I think was definitely the biggest factor in my success. You know, I'm interested in, because a lot of our customers are business people trying to g- generate revenue. And so a lot of them are salespeople. I'm a salesperson knocking on a door, making a cold call. Like that's not a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it works, but we don't like to do it very much. That had to be hard. Did you also knock on Republican doors or was it only Democratic doors? Oh, no, no, definitely. I knocked on Republican Every doors. Door. Well. So tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, you can't win in this district if you're not getting significant crossover vote, if you will. So, um, yeah, it, it is very similar to cold calling, right? Uh, it, it is. Um, and it is, you know, you know, with the business analogy, your product is yourself, right? You're, you're selling yourself yeah. and you have to sell yourself to at least one more person than your opponent is able to um, sell themselves to. Um, huh. And so you do use, um, you know, some of those same tactics um, that you would during a marketing campaign or, or a sales campaign, whether it's um, your targeting, uh, you know, as you, you asked if I knocked on Republican doors. Yes, mm-hmm. 100%. But I wasn't just knocking on every single door on the street. You know, I was targeting, right? So, you know, we have, you, you can get the voter file at the Board of Elections. You can look at people's voter history, who's likely to vote, what is their party preference. And, you know, you can cut the data. Nowadays, you can do it so much more sophisticated than you could back then. But, you know, you would cut the data. You would target it. Um, you, um, you know, you do polling, um, you know, you test your messaging just like you would in any sort of um, ad campaign that a, a business would do. Um, and then, you know, you also have to raise money. So, you know, just as when you're running a business and you have to raise capital, either when you're getting started or if you're expanding and you need to raise capital, um, you know, you need to convince other people that you're worth them investing in. And, um, you know, some of that is, you know, based on, uh, relationships you have, but you know, you got to have a plan, you got to have a pitch and you got to, you know, you got to persuade people, you got to convince people to invest in you. So I, I want to get to the the challenges that you had on the floor, but I also, before then, I want to know, do you have any advice for a salesperson that is afraid to make a call, is afraid to knock on the door? Because a lot of people are, you, you, you don't realize it, but a lot of people just are par- terrified of picking up that phone and being rejected. Do you have yeah. any advice for those folks? Yeah, you know, I think um, you you if you got to believe in what you're selling. Uh, you know, when you're selling yourself, it 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 is such a source of motivation because it's very much easy 
her to do because I very much believed that if I was able to get elected, I would, I would be able to do good things in the community. And so that really helps you get over, you know, the, the hesitation um, or, you know, any sort of nervousness that you might have in terms of um, selling. But so if you, if you believe in your product, if you believe in your service, if you truly believe that this is a good product, this is a good service, people are truly going to benefit from this, then, you know, you're only potentially helping those who you're reaching out to. So, you know, hopefully that can just help, you know, give someone a little bit extra motivation to go do what they need to do. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, so now you're, you're a 25-year-old rookie slash freshman state representative. That's not a small accomplishment. That's not, you know, I, I'm a 12-year school board member, 14-year school board member. Good for That's me. Great. It ain't yeah. what you did. <laughs> okay. So, so tell me about the challenges now as a, as a freshman rookie, bright-eyed, going to change the world. <laughs> you show up yeah. in, in Columbus you know, and now um, I was the youngest person in the legislature when I got elected. So, you know, a lot of people, you look at, you know, the, the Capitol Square crowd, we'll just call them, right? You're kind of Columbus insiders. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll just call them the Cap Square crowd. You know, they thought I got lucky. Um, you know, I, you know, I worked hard, but, you know, was naive or, you know, whatever the case, didn't really know how the game worked or, you know, whatever the case might be. There's no... Um, secret sauce or, you know, one thing I feel like that I was able to do to kind of get people to take me seriously. It was really just, it was the same mentality, right? It was just hard work. It was just grinding day in and day out and just working harder than everyone else or working hard, working extremely hard. I don't want to say that I worked harder than everyone else, but you mean working hard and, um, you know, trying to be smart. Um, so, you know, I ended up, I didn't mention this, but I ended up getting elected to, to be the majority whip in my second term, which is the fourth highest leadership position. So, you know, over the course of one term was obviously able to build relationships and, and gain the confidence of my colleagues to where they felt comfortable electing me as, um, as the majority whip. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot of, I think what allowed me to be successful in that regard was, um, you know, people skills, right? Um, building those relationships one-on-one -on -one with people, um, taking the time to understand and to listen to what they have to say, to what their concerns are, um, to what's driving them and motivating them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, um, building your relationship from there. Um, you know, but a lot of it was just, was just working and just taking a lot of meetings with all sorts of people to talk about legislation you know, reading legislation, studying the details. And then when you're meeting with someone or when you're in a committee hearing, being able to demonstrate yourself as someone of substance who's done their homework. And, you know, you do that enough times and people really start to take you seriously. You know, you take a meeting with, you know, some group and, you know, they start talking about their issues and they, you know, they don't think you're paying attention or they don't think you have any background. And then, you know, but you're listening, you're digesting, and then you ask thoughtful questions. Um, they begin to feel com more confident that you're um, that you're able to um, you know comprehend what their issues are and, and potentially even help them. And, and can you share a story? We we see all of your accomplishments. I won't list them here. If someone's interested, they can look it up. But it, it is extensive. You accomplished great things. There must have been something though that either you didn't accomplish that you wanted to, or that you were able to accomplish but almost failed. And I'm interested in what either of those taught you or the level of, maybe more importantly, the level of grit you had to apply uh, either to come out of that failure unscathed or 
to actually turn a failure into a success. Can you share a gritty story of, uh, of accomplishment from your uh, terms? Yeah. And, and I apologize, Ryan, you, you cut out there for just um, a little bit, but I think I, I, I got the gist oh, okay. of uh, what you're asking, you know, talking about one of my accomplishments that um, maybe it was unexpected or could have been a failure or, or I suppose you also asked something that was a failure or something. That yeah. Was something that you, and I'm sorry, I cut out, but yeah, something that you tried to get done and either didn't get done and you had to show grit to move past it, or you were able to get done, but for a little while it was a dead issue and, and you needed to exert some grit to turn it back into something great, something like that to share with us. Sure. Um, you know, I think maybe uh, a good example would be, the passage of our state budget in 2009. Hmm. So, you know, during uh, the recession, that must've been a tough during the recession, yep. right? Yep. So we, you know, have the recession, we have a historic drop off in revenue to the state. Uh, I think we're facing something like a, a $6 billion shortfall compared to what the previous uh, compared to the amount of money we had in the previous budget cycle we're in a recession, so there really isn't an appetite to raise taxes. You're in a recession, so you really only want to try to cut so far because that's when people need services more mm -hmm. is during those times of recession. And you also had a split legislature, meaning the House being controlled by the Democrats, the governor being a Democrat, but the Senate being Republican, uh, with the Republicans in the majority. And then you were on the eve, on the cusp of the next governor's race happening in 2010, oh which by the way, was also gonna be a redistricting year, meaning the, the way the congressional lines and the state legislative lines were drawn. Whoever took control in 2010 was basically gonna be able to draw the maps to favor themselves if they chose to there was a lot at stake, right? So the stakes were high. And so there was certainly a significant amount of pressure to make what you would hope isn't a political process to make it political and to try to damage one side or the other as much as you can politically with the hopes of gaining the advantage going into the election. Yeah. That was just going to be about a year later. So, you know, a lot of stuff going on and um, like the perfect storm. I mean, the perfect storm. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was, it was not an experience I want to relive, <laughs> but you know, we, the, we passed the budget out of the house, the Senate passed their budget, revised budget estimates came out that showed more significant shortfall than what we had even incorporated for. And so basically we're all sitting there, you know, the house, the Senate and the governor are trying to figure out what to do. No one wants to move first because any decision that has to be made is going to be extremely unpopular because it's going to, going to involve cuts. It's going to involve heavy cuts. Yep. You know, the governor comes out, he, he comes out with his proposal. So we're in this situation. We, you know, it's, you're supposed to pass your budget by June 30th. That's when the fiscal year ends for the state. We blow past that deadline. There's no, um, there's no um, agreement between all of the parties. The governor comes out with a, a new proposal to make a bunch of cuts. He takes a ton of political heat for okay. it. Uh, you know, just a ton of political heat for um, proposing these cuts. But you know, he felt he was the governor, so he was the one who had to eventually make the first move. So we made it and um, you know paid the price for it. 
Uh, but you know, he, he did what he thought he needed to do. And, you know, the Republic from the Republican side, the governor's taking all the arrows. So from, you know, politically, just the political calculus is, is, you know, the longer that they can make this go, the longer that this can prolong, the more damage it's going to do to, uh, the governor, who's a Democrat, and we're in the majority. So politics Democrats. is rearing its ugly head here. Yeah, and you're just right. trying it's, to do the right thing. It, okay. It, it, yep. It happens, right? It happens. Both sides. Yep. So, yep. Um, so you, you're, you're stuck, right? I guess, to, you know, your question, we're, we're stuck in this situation. We're pay, passing these continuing resolutions to just keep the government running, to prevent the government from shutting down. But continuing resolutions are not an effective way to govern. And they cause their own set of problems in terms of just tying people's hands and limiting ability. And it, it, it's not a, a sustainable situation. And, you know, I guess I, I do want to say that I feel like I was able to personally help break the log jam a little bit because the president of the Senate at the time was Bill Harris. Okay. And um, Bill Harris represented this area you know, right. represented uh, Ashland is from Ashland. The Ashland area, and, yes. You know, I, a word about Senator Harris. You know, I'm a Democrat. Senator Harris is the president of the Senate. He's a, he's a Republican. I'm the youngest member of the House. Senator Harris has been there forever. Uh, he he's a legend. Treated, yeah, yeah. Ele- he treated me with so much respect. He's the greatest man. And, one of the greatest uh, men ever that I've. You ever know, met. I I really can't uh, say enough good things about him. You know, he could have just been just very dismissive of me. He could have been very arrogant, arrogant towards me. No. He treated me with so much respect. He treated me as an equal, and we were really able to work together on a lot of things very, yeah. very effectively. And um, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, but, you know, I was, I was going to say that, you know, he was president of the Senate. So he was in this area. So I feel like I was able to talk to some people in the community here and ask them to reach out to Senator Harris to kind of see what he could do to try to cobble enough votes together yeah. uh, to get this through. And, um, you know, talk to some people here who were friends of mine, but also friends of his, um, had had a had conversation with, um, uh, Tom Brennan at the News Journal, just about the situation and what needed to happen to get it resolved. Because you know the newspaper editorial boards, everybody was talking about this, right? Because it was oh, yeah. uh, it was it was a bad situation. They wrote an editorial um, talking about how it was time for Senator Harris to um, try to form a compromise. And you know, within a few days of that editorial, for example, coming out, we were able to uh, get a compromise with the Senate. So. Um, I'm not sure how much, you know, my efforts played a role in it, but I'd like to think that, you know, was able to play some small role in helping to get the impasse resolving and get our budget passed. No, I I think that's, I really appreciate your sharing that story because I think a lot of regular folks like me that are sitting and reading the papers, we say, why can't they just get along? We're not asking for anybody to give up. It's just, why can't we figure this out? And, uh, and you shared a story there of, of reaching across the other side and, and, and uh, positioning both of your benefits and, and letting go of some of the other stuff and, and getting it done. So I, I think that's really important and, and probably a great lesson for folks out there. Grit doesn't have to just come from your own back pocket. You don't have to get your own tires unstuck. You can ask for some help. And so that's, that's great. Jay, we've, we've only got a few more minutes and, and I want to ask about the future for Jay Goyle. So you're the president of Goyle Industries. Uh, you've shown a lot of grit. You're a young man. What, what hurdles do you see that you need to overcome either in your own personal life or, you know, as far as politically or whatever it might be, or for Goyle Industries, uh, that you're going to have to show some grit in the near future to uh, accomplish? 
you, you know, honestly, you know, the, the biggest one that's on my mind right now are just uh, some personal ones. Um, I've got a, I'm married. I've got, I've got a two-year-old at home and then I've got a, a two-month-old uh, as well. And so, wow. um, congratulations. I, I, so many people have done it. Don't blink. So every day is just a grind. <laughs> Don't blink, brother. I, I, uh, I got up at two 30 this morning and I haven't gone to sleep since then yep, with uh, yep. the little guy crying. So, um, I feel like I'm just showing a lot of grit to, um, you know, power through and, and, you know, get done what we need to get done, um, at home raising our boys, which, you know, it's, it, we love, it's the, it's the greatest thing ever. I get filled up so much. Well, I'm going to point that out for you too, Jay, because too many of us think that success is business revenue generated. How many new clients did I, did I generate? How big is our company growing? And not enough people claim family as their number one uh, goal and, and their reason for success or even definition of success. So I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. 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 That's, that's probably a type of mind. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, hoping to, you know, grow the business, whether that's through organic growth or whether that's through an acquisition, uh, I'm active in the community uh, with the chamber of commerce. And so, you know, we have some exciting things that we're doing there in terms of trying to do some uh, development downtown and otherwise. Um, so I have some other irons in the fire as well, if you will, yeah. but We'll, we'll, we'll see exactly what the future holds. And that will be part two of, of the, the show. Perhaps a year from now, we can discuss some grit that you've shown on a personal level. So uh, Jay, thank you for being on the show. Before we wrap up, I'd like to do a quick shout out to our sponsor and our, our uh, presenter of this show. It's Spire Marketing. It's my company that that I work for as a director of sales. And, and we are a marketing company that helps business owners figure it out. A lot of folks do websites and a lot of folks do search engine optimizations and Facebook, and that's all fine. But if you ask yourself why, then you have to figure out, am I doing it for the right reasons? And so if you have a dream, Jay talked to us a little bit here about a dream. He needed to create a strategy. He needed to implement that strategy. He needed to stay true to it. Um, a lot of businesses are the same way. Those are the things that Spire can help you with. Figure it out the bridge, build the bridge, and then drive that car across. So that's Spire Advertising and Spire Marketing. If you're interested in what we do, we're at spiread.com. Thank you, Jay, for sharing your story. I know you're a busy man, but the grit that you've shown over time has made a difference in Ohio. Um, it's obviously made a difference in you. And I hope that it'll your story will make a difference in our listeners. So thank you very much for being on our show. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it, Jay. This is Dash of Grit. We do it once a week. Uh, Jay Goyle, the president of Jay Industries and three-time uh, state representative for this great state of Ohio. We thank you for your service and all the great things that you did. If you would like to watch more episodes of Dash of Grit, you can find it where you, you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, all those places. We're also on YouTube. There's lots of past episodes of more grit. And so check those out too. I'm Brian Leffelock. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay gritty and win the day. This is a Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things.